I'm Jelena Lenka Příplatová and you are listening to the European Skeptics podcast, The Real ESP Experience. You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 328. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Anniko Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Hallo! Hello, hello, hey son, hey son, I mean, hey son, hey son. <laughs> How good to hear your voice, Andras. You, we missed you last week. Oh, yeah, thank you very much. I was away. I was in uh, Sicily, as you very rightly mentioned. Mm. I wish I could say the same, but I listened to you guys <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> so I didn't have to miss a week. That was very joyful. But uh, I'm really sorry that I couldn't join you. Yeah. How were the volcanoes? The volcanoes, yeah, yeah. It's a good thing that you put that in plural because there are several of them. And uh, Etna was amazing. I saw from about a kilometer and a half, I saw a little bit of lava spewing out of, of the top crater, wow. the southeast crater, actually. And that was really, well, it was murmuring. It was uh, doing some some really weird noises as well. I love every moment of it. And when you're actually up there and you see a layer of lapil, you know, you know what lapil is? It's I know, not I know people it's... who are on the pill, but I don't know lapil. <laughs> <laughs> lapil is something that is produced at is it like the stone an ash? initial phase. It is. It is. Yes. It's, it's. It's something like that. It's very light. It, the density of it is, is is very very low. It's really cool. It's it's really black, almost black, and it sits on top of now at least. It sits on on top of last winter's snow, the layer of snow. So you can see the layer of snow, and on top of it, you can see about a ten fifteen centimeters layer of this volcanic material. Mm-hmm. that has already cooled down properly so it's really amazing well just walking around there it's like walking on the moon walking on walking on the moon <laughs> More we're, certainly, we're certainly glad to have you back Andres. <laughs> now we don't have to sing anymore <laughs> exactly uh, very good yeah but la Pelle is an amazing so it's um mm-hmm. isn't it also like very fertile isn't that the the case or I it's think a very I read good, like that. yeah. It's a, it's a very good material for uh, soil production. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very good soils can develop out of that. Actually, yeah, it's really cool. But I saw another active volcano, which is Vulcano, uh, mm-hmm. on and that was beef. just meh. The other one was fine, and this was just meh. <laughs> no, that was really cool as well. But unfortunately, uh-huh. we couldn't climb the the crater, which we usually can. But since last year, the end of the, uh, the second half of last year, it's been so active that it's closed. The area is closed. You cannot go close enough. <laughs> Once, a couple of years ago, I climbed the crater, and on the side of the crater, there are these um, sulfuric sedimentations on the side, mm. and they are very hot. 
at one time I was a, a little bit careless and I stood for too long at one spot and I started feeling my the bottom of my shoes starting melting. Oh wow. <laughs> so <laughs> never a good sign. Never a good sign. So it was it was a little bit scary when I realized what was going on, but uh, yeah, it was a, it was an experience of a lifetime. So um it's been fun. And how do you have to be afraid of like any fumes or so? Yeah. Yeah, currently you you have to. Currently you are not allowed to go in the vicinity of the crater because of the poisonous gases, mostly um, sulfuric gases. It's not very not very safe at the moment, but mm-hmm. it's beautiful from the other island, which is Lipari. That's the largest of the Aeolian island, and that's where we went. And we traveled around the island itself, uh, looking at the other islands from the middle. Mm. Really cool. Yeah. I love showing that to people. Mm. Oh, great. Yeah. Uh, you're a good guide. We almost feel the, the sulfuric yeah. acid as you speak. <laughs> and I mean that Thank as you. a compliment, of course. Not, not, not <laughs> but something happening on another island that is usually also something that we love going to, and that is QED. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's an yeah, island? Yeah, yeah. QED is an island. An island in, in a world of chaos, yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. QED uh, is taking place in Manchester. On the 29th mm-hmm. and 30th of October, and tickets will be on sale from June 13th. We mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah. Keep That's your great. fingers peeled for that. <laughs> fingers peeled. Okay, yeah, to don't be peel able your to fingers. click. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but, but it's great. I mean, really, we have been QED deprived for many years yes. now. For those who don't know, QED is fantastic. Usually it's six, no, almost 700 people gathering in one place for a weekend. And there are speakers, there are things. The most frustrating thing is that a lot of things are happening at the same time. So you have to choose. Yes. You don't know. And still, I think the best thing is to meet other people or other participants in the bar or wherever you meet with them. And you, you, you meet so many great people. So we are definitely going there. We are going to, of course, also to the European Skeptics Congress in Vienna. That's great too, of course, as we've told you. And later on then in, um, what dates are there? 29th to 30th of October. It's going to be a busy autumn series of uh, mm-hmm. conferences. And we later on, we might have something else to we, announce We have here. something else, else <laughs> brewing, but we can't talk about it yet. But it's going yes. to be a busy year for, for the ESP. But it's, it's right. special. <laughs> yeah, it is special. It's special also because we get to meet uh, our listeners. And that's not very often. Yeah. We also love to hear from our listeners. And uh, listener Mark from the Netherlands got in touch with us. He wanted to comment about last week's news about YouTube removing thousands of videos and channels spreading mm-hmm. misinformation about the war in Ukraine. And he points out, very rightly, that since the task to monitor everything uh, that is posted is so huge, there's a big risk that also legitimate material gets removed. That's right. We were the victims of that ourselves, not with YouTube, but with Facebook a couple of years ago when we were blocked for being a, quote, <laughs> Australian news outlet, end quote. And Facebook <laughs> yeah, was boycotting that. Australia. And we were like, what? We, we're Australian news? Uh, that was news to us. <laughs> but uh, So that was ridiculous. But it's an example that it can, of course, hit other material that is not fake or, or, or so. So mistakes are bound to happen. People talk about censorship. I don't call it censorship because only a government can censor anything. 
YouTube is its own platform. They decide whatever they want on their platform, and they they should be able to do that. And of course, they're going to make mistakes, but you have to compare that to the risk of spreading deadly misinformation, disinformation to everybody. So sure, there will be stupid mistakes happening like that, like us being an Australian news outlet. <laughs> but you have to look at the bigger picture as well. What is more harmful is it's not an easy problem to fix, but the alternative is to do nothing and to let everybody spread whatever shit they want to. Every Russian bot can post whatever they want to. I don't think that's a better solution. But it, there is a problem, especially because they have to automate what is going to be taken away or not. Algorithms go wrong. We talk about that all the time. But I still think they need to do something. Mm. There's a question of magnitude here. The, the problem of a few legitimate things being taken out, you have to compare mm. that, which is a problem, but you have to compare mm -hmm. that with the big problem of, of all the nonsense and propaganda yeah. uh, just overflowing the internet. In an ideal world, a lot of things just wouldn't be, it wouldn't even be possible to upload them. But mm -hmm. the thing is, if you can't even upload these things, then there is a bit of a censorship there because one person's evil deeds is another person's heroics, if you know what I mean. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's hard. It is hard, but specifically thinking about those channels that spread things out of pure malice they yes. know it's wrong but they yeah. want to to create confusion they want to they have an agenda which is uh, sinister if you will so um yeah th that needs to be fought somehow yeah yeah that's true yeah but the, the, both on the positive and the negative side of this there is a fact that um, facebook and the other um, social media platforms are private platforms so we are not talking about state media this is why censorship is something that doesn't necessarily apply here but on the other hand this is the difficulty that comes with it authorities cannot really deal with it so they can try to legislate they can try to force them to help the situation by not allowing certain content but on the other hand it, it raises a lot of different questions and those questions have been raised for for a long long time by now and uh, it's an ongoing debate so hmm. yeah well shall we move on to the things that we are here to do with <laughs> yes, this show yes. like a couple of segments this and there here and there all right All right, so a couple of days ago, the Erratic Boulders Awards were given out by the Czech skeptical organization Sisyphos. And here with us now is Jelena Lenka-Pshiplatova to tell us all about it. Jelena, welcome to the show. Hello. Hi, welcome to so, the show. I hear this This was quite a big thing, and uh, we have probably heard of the Boulders Awards, but uh, could, you, could you tell us more about it? What it's all about? What is it? Yes, the Erratic Boulders, it's an enterprise of the Czech Club of Skeptics. It's quarter of century old by this time. And we are uh, wow. awarding each year about uh, six people or groups of people who were responsible for the most uh, muddied thinking and pseudoscience and uh, spread of uh, nonsense, nonsense and disinformation in the uh, Czech Republic. 
Right. Yeah. So it's, it's an ironic award, like they have in many other countries as well. Australia have famously the Ben Spoon Award. We have the Confounder of the Year Award in Sweden, and there are many others. Yes, it's pretty much. I have heard of Ige Nobel Prizes, Igno Nobel Prizes, and this is not the same thing because the Ig Nobel Prizes are for people who have some funny or interestingly sounding research, but the research itself could be quite sound. While we are giving the awards for the people who are not sound at all. Uh, who should yeah. really be ashamed, yes, right? Yes, exactly. And how do you select people for the awards? Well, we have a nomination email, and everyone from the Czech Republic, not only our members, but uh, really everyone can send us their tips for people who, according to them, deserve uh, such award, such award. And then we have a committee that is uh, mostly. Uh, it mostly comprises of the members of Czech Club of Skeptics and uh, of the heads of uh, our club. And we are selecting uh, the ones who, according to the materials that we find uh, on the internet and everywhere, are most uh, dangerous for the Czech public and also that they are the most visible because we don't want to just give awards to some dumb people in a village who don't know what they are doing, but we are uh, mostly awarding people who have a public appearance uh, often in media and who are uh, confounding people and uh, they might be responsible even for uh, a loss of uh, health or such such things. Yeah, so, so you definitely don't want to give them an elevation of their platform by yeah. uh, giving them an award. So I'd like to dwell on something I can't help but notice that there might or must be some kind of a connection between the name of the Czech Skeptic Club, Sisyphos, and the award, which is an erratic boulder. Yes, because uh, the mythical Sisyphos, uh, Sisyphos was uh, pushing a boulder up uh, the slope and the boulder kept running back and it was a pretty much useless effort on his part, but uh, yet he didn't give up. And we are uh, also trying to fight with uh, the Czech charlatans and mm. pseudoscientists and uh, people like that. And it's, it's a never-ending effort, but it's worth it because uh, we need to show people that... Uh, their money and uh, trust and health are better kept away from these people. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you become involved in Sisyphos? Yeah, it was uh, many, many years ago, like more than 10 years ago, I started visiting uh, uh, lectures uh, about popular science that were uh, organized by the Czech Club of Skeptics or more precisely by the one of the sections of the Czech Club of Skeptics. And when uh, the main organizer died, people uh, in the section thought that I would be a great person to lead the popular le lectures by myself. So I kind of inherited part of the Czech Club of Skeptics. Wow. And because I'm an evolutionary biologist, and so I'm in connection with uh, scientists and when pe with people who are uh, making science communication or uh, popular science for people, I can organize these things uh, more easily, I guess, than, than people who are completely outside the field. Uh, so I started organizing the lectures and then I kind of went into the whole sum of activities of the club. 
So I, I started participating on the Erratic Boulders Awards because I wrote some reviews on creationist literature, which is mm-hmm. close, close to my field. And then I stayed in the committee and stayed in the ah. uh, whole thing. <laughs> All right. So where, where are you based? Are you based in Prague? Mostly, yes. Mm-hmm. I'm mostly from Prague. So right now I'm living in the middle of Czech Republic, but normally I'm in Prague. <laughs> okay. So, was there an, a, a large award ceremony, or is there usually one? Outside COVID, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the last uh, two years, there was no, no huge ceremony, just uh, online presentation. But uh, normally, we want to make this like a funny experience for people, so uh, they don't have to uh, cry over those uh, <laughs> stupid things, and they, they can also have some fun from it. So we are mostly uh, dressed up as uh, mythological characters or Greek uh, characters nice. uh, in the ceremony. Oh, and I love we it. Are, <laughs> we are reading out uh, funny texts about the awardees. So it's not like a serious uh, review of their work, but a funny thing uh, over which people can have some laugh and just know that these people are not uh, very credible. Mm-hmm. And can you tell us something about this year's award? Yeah, uh, this year's uh, we had uh, many people who we wanted to award because also of the COVID pandemics mm-hmm. uh, in which many, many people went out uh, saying uh, their opinions, which were quite unscientific and sometimes dangerous. Mm-hmm. But we didn't want to have everything just about uh, COVID because we already have almost everything about COVID last year. So this year, the main awardees uh, in uh, individual category was uh, Karel Janeček, who is uh, probably a presidential candidate. He is uh, he studied Ooh. mathematics okay. and have some work in the mathematical field. He's quite uh, rich, and so he has money to organize the whole presidential campaign. But he also said a lot of uh, stupid things about COVID. He says that he's not anti-vaccination, but yet he argues that no children should be vaccinated and that people shouldn't uh, get vaccination against COVID themselves because it's dangerous and it's not useful and stuff like that. So we wanted to uh, say that this is not okay. He's no, he has no real knowledge of biology or medicine or vaccination. And he's just saying this uh, to get people to vote for him who are not uh, really oriented in the field as well. Mm. Then we had groups award and then there the main award get the anti-COVID uh, organization. It's called Zdrave Forum, Healthy Forum. And these are groups of uh, scientists and mathematicians and physicists and statisticians and uh, medical doctors who were standing outside the mainstream in the case of COVID. They were saying uh, a lot of things that were not uh, really based in facts. And they were warning people against vaccination as well. They were warning about uh, using uh, face masks and stuff like that. So... Their arguments, uh, it's not just an opinion. They said they, they have uh, like studies for it, but they never showed anything uh, really, no, no real argument. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. Yeah. It's most dangerous kind when you have the credibility because you have a name, you have a degree, and then you still talk yeah, nonsense. Yeah, exactly. 
I think these were one of the most dangerous people we had here concerning COVID. So I think these uh, awards are most uh, appropriate. But yeah. these two were for like COVID stuff, but we have did also award some prizes, the silver and uh, other erratic boulders to people this year who were against uh, evolutionary biology. We had a specific award for a group of people who uh, published a Czech translation of a book, uh, how is it called? Achilles Tendons of Evolution or something like that. Mm, okay. It's a book uh, by a group of uh, PhD researchers from the creation ministry or how are they called yeah. in America and they are trying to say that the evolution doesn't work and that there are no proofs of evolution but uh, the book is highly unscientific. So it's uh, the, their arguments are the irreducible complexity and things like that. Exactly and there's nothing new design. it's like 100 years of all the same stupid yeah, arguments yeah, yeah. again and again. Yeah. But it seems legit because uh, there were people who had PhD in the areas like biology. Okay, they are doing like genetics of uh, field plants, but still they are biologists. So they have uh, like uh, some credibility as experts. Mm. But also, there are almost no scientific arguments in the book. It looks very pretty. It's a big book with great uh, pictures and everything. But most of the arguments are just uh, God did it and the Bible says it's better. And <laughs> there is no climate change because the Bible says that uh, everything that we observe was created by the creation. Yeah, stuff yeah. like that. It's, it's completely stupid and useless. But uh, it seems like a scientific publication, mm -hmm. which is the dangerous part. Yeah, yeah. And one other group is worth mentioning. We have our own anti-abortion or pro-life movement. Ooh. And we wanted to award them for a long time, but uh, we didn't want to just uh, say that their uh, values are wrong because th that's not our field of uh, expertise. We can't just say that they are Christians or they are anti-abortion, so they are wrong. But we were collecting their pseudoscientific stuff mm -hmm. for years. And this year they somehow finalized our collection because they were more and more damp in their rhetorics. So we awarded them with the anti award because they uh, promoted uh, replacement of the ectopic pregnancy, which is quite dangerous stuff and not really like an artist medicine. And uh, they were against giving uh, women in Ukraine the pill, or how is it called in English? The after pill, yeah, I yeah. think. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they were uh, saying that we should give a klaxon or some loud horn to people in Ukraine yeah. to the war zone so they can get protected from the rapists who are going in oh. there. Oh, oh god! Instead of sending them the day after pill, so uh, oh my god, <laughs> it was it was too much. Wow! Yeah. Yeah. And there were several other other stuff that they said that weren't really uh, sound, and so they finally get their award. Yeah, I think it was yeah uh, well deserved, quite worth it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's gaining ground all over Europe, and it's becoming a hot topic even here because we are quite used to this being a hot topic in the US, but in in Europe, it's yeah. a bit of a new thing. Yeah, well, in here they are they are going on for more than ten years. They are quite mm -hmm. old in as a movement in here, but they are not so visible and they are usually not very active mm -hmm. because in Czech Republic they would have no chance if they were 
too loud or yeah, yeah. something. But still, they affect the media and people in the power because, for example, our president cooperated with some, some of their activities because they sound seriously. They are like protecting the unborn child and helping women who have been in bad situation and stuff like that. So it sounds nice and yeah. perfect and everything. But in the end, uh, it's a pseudoscience and, and not really pleasant stuff. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much for telling us all about that. Thanks for your time. And before we say goodbye, I'd like to ask you to say two things. One of them is the name of the awards in your own language, so in Czech, and the name of the organization. <laughs> okay. The name of the award in Czech is Bludne Balvani. Okay. So an alliteration, that's nice. Wouldn't have been able to to, to figure it out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It's bludne because bloodit means to be lost and trying to find a way or something like okay, that. Okay, okay. <laughs> so bludne balvany. And uh, the uh, Czech Club of Skeptics is uh, Český klub skeptiků Sisyphos. Okay, that's almost understandable. <laughs> it's, 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 it's workable for, for foreigners as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Czeský klub skeptiků Sisyphos. That's pretty international. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's pretty international. Yeah, because yeah, basically yeah. you just have to add the uh, Slavic sounding end to the, to the words and then, 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 it's, exactly. then you're pretty close. Uh, all right, Jelena. Again, thank you very much for joining us today and tell us all about the Boulder Awards. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Wish you all the best with the organization. I hope the in-person organization events can take place again soon and you can you can get back to these events on a regular basis and uh, the talks and everything. So take care Thanks. and hope to see you in Vienna. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm planning to okay. be there, but don't know how, how the time will allow. Okay. So Jana Lenka Pshiplatova, thank you very much and goodbye. Thank you for the invitation. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Okay, and here's something that we call This Week in Skepticism, also known as Twish. And this time I'm not going to talk about skepticism only. Mm. Well, I do have a tendency to move towards science and science popularization as well, which is in the profile and among the goals and the activities of this institution that uh, we are celebrating the birthday of. Because on the 2nd of June 1739, the Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences was founded. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah! Uh, Love it. I'll try to say the name in Swedish. So Yes, go ahead. Please pardon my, my Swedish. Kungliga Wetenskapsakademien. Well, that's very good. That's Is it very good. Kungliga Wetenskapsakademien. You said it better than Akademien. I did. So good. Okay. Very, very wow. good. Hmm? Okay. Wow. <laughs> so Wetenskap, Wetenskap means science. And yeah, that's Wissenschaft. The same that's very close to Wissenschaft, German. yes. Yeah. <laughs> and Wetenskap is also the first... The, we we sometimes mention... Yes, Wof. <laughs> I'm the the president of Wof, which is Wetenskap och Folkbildning, which is science and popular education. But the first part is Wetenskap, so it's the same word. Swedish and German mm -hmm. are so close. I should really start learning Swedish. But sorry for derailing Trish here. In this <laughs> yeah, what about Kungliga Wetenskapsakademien? All right, so, so what happened? What happened? So in yeah. 1739... 
on the, the 2nd of June, the Academy was founded. And the goal and the, the whole thing was about the promotion of natural science and in mathematics. And back then, the influence of science on society has already started to grow. And with people that added a lot to the way that we see the world now, including, I have to mention this, that among the founders of the Academy was Carl Linnaeus, who was a naturalist very well known for his work into the establishment of taxonomy. Yeah. So how to classify things. Exactly. And it's not, he wasn't the first one to to make an attempt at that and he wasn't even the first one to come up with something that we call binomial nomenclature, which is the system that we use in naming organisms up until this day. Mm. But he applied it consequently and very strictly to everything that he tried to categorize. So influential people like him were among the founders of uh, the, the Royal Swedish Academy. And uh, they are, up until this day, Pontus, correct me if I'm wrong, but they don't only provide uh, networks of scientific research and promote the exchange of certain ideas, even between various scientific disciplines, but also they are among the institutions that are doing very important work in education and um, the public understanding of science as well. Yeah, absolutely. Is that yeah, right? That, okay. that, that is absolutely correct. And they're also involved in some of the Nobel Prizes, for instance. Yes, uh, physics and chemistry, uh, namely. Yes, that's right, that's right. So uh, it's interesting, actually, how that even though the Nobel Foundation is the one providing the financial and most of the administrative work behind the prizes, the Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences is responsible for awarding chemistry and physics. Hmm. The Karolinska Institute is responsible for physiology and medicine. The Swedish Academy is responsible for literature, I believe. And the Sveriges Riksbank provides the, the Nobel Memorial Prize in Economic Sciences, which is not a Nobel Prize. It's a separate thing. <laughs> They've hijacked the name, sort of, to get... Yes. Yeah, it's the, a Nobel uh, Memorial Prize. But it's it still is. being referred to as the Economic Nobel yeah. Prize, actually. But there is one that was among those initiated by Alfred Nobel, and that was the Peace Prize which yeah. is awarded by the Norwegian Nobel Committee. So it's it's right. not it's not even a Swiss thing. But no, but, but you have to remember that Sweden and Norway was in a union at the time. So yes, uh, he wanted right. to uh, yeah, to distribute <laughs> that between uh, Stockholm and Oslo and uh, then things happen, but uh, it still works out most yeah. of the time. I should mention also that uh, the current head of the Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences he is now leaving uh, by the end of June, I believe, but he has been elected part of the Swedish Skeptics Board. So he's he's mm -hmm. been there before. He has been. His name is... Uh, Dan Larhammar. Dan right? Larhammar, that's mm -hmm. right. And he has okay. been active for many years in the Swedish Skeptics Movement. He was the president for a number of years, and then he took a pause when he was uh, appointed head of the Kungliga Wetenskapsakademie. Mm -hmm. And uh, now his term is ending by the end of June, and he's coming back. To, uh, so it's it's great to have him back. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm 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 not familiar with his work, but am I right that he's a molecular biologist? That is correct. Yes, it's amazing. That's that's one of the most amazing fields of science. Yeah. 
So, uh, yeah, really cool. I really hope to meet him at some point because you've mentioned him several times uh, mm-hmm. on the mm-hmm. show. Do try to persuade him to come come over to the European Skeptics Congress. I will. I will. Uh, it's not a. It's a non-zero chance that he will. <laughs> he will show up. Uh. Would be great. Would be great. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, getting back to the the Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences today, the number of members the Academy has is about four hundred and seventy from the Swedish populace, mm-hmm. and they have one hundred and seventy-five foreign members as well. Yeah, I was so, going to say, uh, yeah. Yeah, but the interesting thing is that there are several, so its focus is really on the natural sciences. So mathematics, astronomy, space science, physics, chemistry, geosciences, biosciences. But there are social sciences and humanities. So those two groups that are representing everything else that, that are not natural sciences. It really hmm, shows yeah. the focus of the institution. So let's celebrate the founding of the institution which happened 283 years ago at least we're coming up to uh, 283 amazing Mm. but with that we are moving on to finding out if pontus has something to poke the pope for (laughs) yes i do as frankie looks older and older every day he is still planning for the future his known health issues are mainly related to his legs, for some reason. So with <laughs> sciatica, and he has knee, uh, a knee problem as well, and that has forced him to use a wheelchair on many occasions lately, which, of course, fuels the discussions of... Yeah, he, he's 85. I mean, so he's getting on there. Also, I should mention he had a colon surgery last year, but that seems to have fixed the problem whatever the problem was they're a bit secretive about that but he's still around and he has a busy travel schedule he's going to canada in july late july to talk to indigenous people there that he has uh, well he has a good reason to talk to them but the future may exclude him at some point right (laughs) and he (laughs) seems to be aware of the fact because on sunday he announced 21 new cardinals to be appointed in August. And that is quite a herd of cardinals. So what wow. is the collective noun for, for a group of cardinals? It's not Cardinal a herd I? of cardinals. As a pack, pack of, car- of cardinals. Ar- arrogance yeah. of cardinals, a murder, maybe? A murder of it's cardinals. It's a murder of cardinals. Yeah, yeah that's, right. Right. that's <laughs> right. Like the crows, right? <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Maybe it's a carnival of cardinals. I would like that. That's because it sounds better. <laughs> oh. I looked it up, actually. So I'm just kidding here. I-, I looked it up, and it is a conclave of cardinals. That's not fun, but it's very... To the point, because this is why cardinals are so important, the conclave. The conclave, of course, is the meeting to select a new pope. And Frankie is now well aware that well, he won't live forever. And he is now packing the court, if you will, to make sure that when he dies, the carnival of cardinals will elect someone with his general points of view, with his vision of the Catholic Church going forward. And that, of course, that makes sense. Now, the thing is, he is now breaking the law, Frankie, because there is his own, a, law. His own law. Well, there is an apostolic constitution that specifies that there, ha- there can't be more than 120 cardinal electors participating in a conclave. And also cardinals above the age of 80 cannot participate. But right now, 
we have 117 cardinals who are below 80 years old. And with this new appointment, it will be 133. Six of the new cardinals are already above 80, so they don't count. But it's 133 at the moment, or will be in August when they are officially appointed. And that's 13 too many, according to the law. Well, <laughs> what's the solution? Uh, changing the yeah, law? or Yeah, <laughs> nobody knows. Killing a couple of cardinals. Uh, well, Waiting for them to die. <laughs> I don't know. The law says there can't be more than 120 that votes. So mm-hmm. maybe they fight for it. So some of them cannot be in, allowed into the room. I, I don't know. But So we're really coming down to the carnival. <laughs> yes but the the thing is the law is a bit hazy here because it doesn't prevent the pope to appoint more that's not against the law it's just saying mm-hmm. how many can participate in the conclave and then it says everybody below 80 can can be there so i don't know we, we will see what happens maybe i mean if he lives long enough some of the others will turn 80 and they will be disqualified by default and then there's not a problem so maybe that's what he's counting on and i looked a little on the list of the 16 that are below 80 and now newly appointed or will be appointed in august to check how old they are and and they, it's it's a range the youngest is 48 so that's pretty young to be a cardinal. Mm. Yeah, that is uh, Giorgio Marengo, believe it or not. And he is the prefect of Ulaanbaatar in Mongolia. Mm. Interesting. Uh, it's inter- Speaking of Mongolia, it is from a geographical point of view. It's a quite a diverse bunch. There are two from Africa, five from Asia. Oh, I, th- I thought you were referring to Mongolia. I, that, that, that wasn't no, no. my impression about Mongolia. <laughs> Mongolia is not in Africa. That geographic- is correct. And that it's geographically diverse, <laughs> not that either. <laughs> no, I spoke about the, ho- the, the, sorry. the 16 yeah, yeah, of them. Sorry. Yeah, the 16. Yeah, okay, sorry about that. <laughs> so, as I said, there are two from Africa, there are five from Asia, there's one from the US, three from South America, and only two from Europe and only one of them is from Italy. That is unusual because uh, a lot of the time it has been said that, what do you call it, the Carnival of Cardinals, they are being dominated too much by Italy. Not this time. The average age of these people are 63 years. So um, a lot of them will stay around to vote. No matter what you think about Frankie, he probably won't live for another 20 years. Yeah, probably not. Yeah, but you could look at the list as well in another dimension, if you will. A handful of these cardinals have a track record on uh, clerical sex abuse. Hey. Not ma- not necessarily charged with being the perpetrator themselves, but covering up sex abuse. Oscar Cantoni, for example, the one Italian, he was investigated by civil authorities in Italy in 2008 for allegedly covering up an abuse charge. And there are others with similar backgrounds, and it didn't seem to disqualify them in Frankie's eyes. Or maybe it's just that hard to find archbishops around the world that have not been involved in any kind of, of scandal like that, so he doesn't have a lot of people to choose from. But <laughs> So anyway, you can uh, toss and turn on this table and try to analyze it a lot. The thing I should say is that they are all classified as loyalists. 
So these are people that are on uh, Frankie's team, if you will. And he is approaching two-thirds of the cardinal electorate is now appointed by uh, Frankie. So we'll see. Uh, but it looks like he is securing the succession, if you will. So if that the next pope will be somebody who is similar to Francis. Yeah, and needs to see the continuation of his legacy. Yeah. It's yeah. only natural, of course, but it's fun to, to follow the intrigues as they unfold. <laughs> so, okay, w- one last thing about cardinals, but not among those who are now elected or appointed. One of the most notorious cover-uppers, <laughs> if that's the word, of sex abuse, Angelo Sodano, he passed away on Friday, last Friday, at the age of 94, and he was instrumental in covering up abuse carried out by a father, Martial Maciel, who founded the Legion of Christ religious order and lived a double life as a pedophile, womanizer and a drug addict. Not my words. This is a citation. So um, if you want to know more, we will also link to to that story. But I think uh, maybe we should move on to other stuff in today's (laughs) episode. Yeah, probably. All right. Thank you very much, Pontus, for poking the Pope once again. And we are moving on to discussing the news. One to start with, I think, is the latest craze, which is, uh, well, obviously, we have an, an, an issue going on. Even though the WHO has not raised any alarms regarding the monkeypox cases that have been popping up here and there around the world, still, obviously... People of the internet cannot sit tight and not come up with the latest conspiracy theories. So the latest conspiracy theory is regarding how the monkeypox appeared, and obviously it could not have appeared as a normal, well, zoonosis would appear, but it's definitely something that came up as a side effect of the COVID-19 vaccines. What else? (laughs) So, um, and... (laughs) In the last couple of days and uh, uh, weeks, more and more Instagram, Facebook, Twitter posts have been discussing it in detail. Some of them were just dismissing the actual existence of monkeypox as a different disease, saying that basically the symptoms are just the result of COVID-19 and the COVID-19 vaccinations, not even COVID-19 itself, but the COVID-19 vaccinations. Some of them go into even more detail explaining how it could have happened and now the best part comes now the monkey business starts yeah do you know what the difference might be between vaccinations and um, monkeypox think of the oxford astrazeneca vaccine Mm -hmm. how does it work well it works well it works well it uses an adenovirus Mm. as a viral vector to bring in the genetic information for the spike protein. Mm. Now, what the AstraZeneca vaccine uses is a chimpanzee adenovirus that has been modified to prevent replication. Hmm. So, in some people's minds, the connection was made that because it was operating with a chimpanzee adenovirus, that it's because it's a chimpanzee and the other one is a monkeypox. That similarity was close enough so that they concluded that it could have not 
occurred <laughs> any other way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. It doesn't, <laughs> yeah, it does. actually. So the, <laughs> the, the, the only problem is that, first of all, chimpanzees are not monkeys. Nah, wrong there. Yeah, yeah, that's one, one thing. The other thing is adenoviruses are not pox viruses. Monkeypox is caused by a pox virus, which is a different group of viruses, completely different from the adenoviruses. Okay, so the mm-hmm. only similarity between them is that they both double-stranded DNA viruses. It has nothing to do with it. It's a completely different thing. So that's the thing that we need to put up with at the moment, because now that the pandemic is over, at least in the public discourse, mostly, now another thing has come up. And, uh, well, WHO, very rightly, is monitoring the situation with the monkeypox, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they will come up because obviously conspiracy theories are popping up saying that this is the new thing that people will want to to use to control the population and and all that weird shit that has been said many, many times about the COVID-19 vaccines. But the, the good thing about the monkeypox, and I think you mentioned that last week, the smallpox vaccines that many of us yeah. have received as children... Works. It works with about an 85% efficacy. Which is quite good. Which is very good. Also to the, the conspiracy theories there, monkeypox has been around for a long time, hasn't it? A long, it's long just, time there. Yeah. I think so it was not uh, something that came with the COVID. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. No, no, no. It didn't. <laughs> so. <laughs> so. It's a well-known disease. It's just that now it's spreading. And uh, that's bad, of course. It's more about how ignorance about viruses and these kinds of things can be coupled with the way that information spreads on the internet. So it's a, it's a, it's a bad combination of the two. <laughs> that's, that's what it is. Yeah. All right. Speaking of vaccinations against viruses, mm-hmm. we, there are more viruses, of course, old viruses, viruses that we know very well. And about a month ago, we talked about Ukrainian refugees and the risk that they would spread measles. That's what we mm-hmm. talked about that time. Uh, The background there is that there's an historic hesitancy in Ukraine against all vaccinations, not just measles. Poland is now receiving a lot of Ukrainian refugees, uh, which is not surprising. It's a a country that is pretty close. There is an awareness of the problem there about the low vaccination rates with the arriving people. So Poland has set up a major vaccination campaign with free vaccinations for all arriving Ukrainians. So that's very good. There are 12... Generous stuff. Yes, absolutely. 12 childhood vaccines are actually compulsory in Poland. And without them, without having had them, you cannot stay in the country for more than three months. And unvaccinated children cannot go to school. The problem is there's still a big resistance from the Ukrainians that are arriving. 22% of Ukrainian parents in Poland do not intend to vaccinate their children with any kind of vaccine. That's what they say in a recent survey. (laughs) And of course, it's not just vaccines for children or childhood diseases. There's also the question of COVID, uh, naturally. And only 35% of people in Ukraine have received two doses of uh, COVID vaccines. So big risk of uh, mass spreading events here. It all ultimately goes back to Andrew Wakefield and others that are spreading totally unwarranted fear about vaccines. Even polio is not always vaccinated for in Ukraine, which is Hmm. also a big risk. And we 
don't want a polio epidemic going on. We certainly do not. Yeah. Disinformation and lack of trust in authorities are behind this, and uh, it's now turning into a big problem. So UNICEF and the Polish Ministry of Health and the National Institute of Public Health in Poland are planning a multi-channel communication campaign targeting Ukrainian mothers, especially in Poland. Information will be shared on Instagram, Facebook, Telegram, Viber, and all the other online platforms and of course they will also talk about it at the actual uh, vaccination centers we, we hope <laughs> it goes well but it is a problem yeah definitely i've got good news <laughs> oh good so always not, up for that no problems yeah bad news for homeopaths though <laughs> because that is the, good news yes <laughs> we can live with that um, the 126th German Medical Congress of and in Bremen deleted the additional uh, designation of homeopathy from their regulations for doctors. Sounds good, that, but what does yeah. it mean? <laughs> yeah, what does it mean exactly? Yeah. It means that um, doctors can't really additionally do homeopathy anymore. Ooh. Yeah. So is it not going to be allowed or it's not encouraged? It, it's or allowed, what's, what's... but it's not encouraged anymore. Okay, oh, yes. well, that's good. And they did it on the grounds that 13 of 17 states already did that. And they also, like they say, it's no prohibition to take homeopathy. But as a medical association, they want to define and check verifiable learning objectives. So <laughs> they want to have science in their, in their toolbox. Karl Lauterbach, the health minister of Germany, welcomed this decision. He said, good medicine stands on the ground of science. That's just Great. what it is. <laughs> and and we welcome Karl Lauterbach. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's right. But th this is not his initiative, right? It, it, this is no. a local initiative from the local states. Yeah, it's from Bremen. Yes. From, oh, okay. So, sorry. Just Bremen. Just Bremen, yeah. But Bremen so is it's a, not a federal it's, it's, thing. It's a, well, it is because Bremen is a city state. It is a city state within. We talked about that a yeah. couple of episodes ago. Yeah. So, if you will, this is one state that has taken these measures. Yeah, but thirteen also did. So. <laughs> so it's not just Bremen. So thirteen so, others. A lot of the states now have that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good. 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 Okay, so just a couple of more to go so that it can actually reach the, the federal level yeah, as well. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Okay, nice, mm. nice. Yeah. Great news. <laughs> it's like it just makes it harder for them to learn it now. <laughs> but I, I, think, I think it's a very bold and very positive move mm -hmm. from any politician to step up and welcome this decision. Yes. Mm. With so much support in the general public for homeopathy, I think it's a very brave move. Hmm? Yeah, but Good. I also think it's probably down to people like Edzard Ernst and uh, Informationsnetzwerk Homeopathie that like yes. put the critical talk, the skeptical talk about homeopathy really in the limelight. Yeah. So And great. this yeah. is a great <laughs> example of how important that work is. Exactly. Yeah. Even though it looks occasionally, it really looks absolutely futile, but it, it makes a lot of sense and it makes... Yes. Yeah, it can exactly. actually bring about change. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking about good news, I have very bad news. No. Yay! <laughs> Guys, what are the most urgent risks in the world? Is it war, I famine, pandemics? All of them, cl right? Climate change? All of the above? <laughs> all of the above. All of the and above, it's even yeah. worse. Even worse. They're all connected and they enhance each other. It's a negative feedback spiral. The point is we're all doomed. This is my takeaway from a new report that was issued by CIPRI, 
SIPRI, which is the Stockholm International Peace Research Institute. I hadn't actually heard about this before, but they've been around for a while. CIPRI is a so-called think tank organization that was founded in 1966 by, among other people, the, the then Prime Minister of Sweden, Tage Erlander. So despite its Swedish roots, they want to describe themselves as international. They have an international board and it has been ranked the third most influential think tank outside of the US. So they are influential. Mm -hmm. The purpose of CIPRI is uh, peace research and they're trying to identify the biggest risks and uh, recommend ways to mitigate those risks. The new report is called, quote, Environment of Peace – Security in a new era of risk, end quote. Mm. And as I indicated, it's pretty depressing reading. But trying to boil it down in my words, uh, this is not their words, but my takeaway there is that climate change increases the fight over resources, which in turn creates a higher risk of armed conflicts, which then is bad for the climate change efforts. And also the number of refugees increases and everything is doom. Uh, (laughs) But what they especially highlight is that we must be better in anticipating the unexpected and work together to prevent and work proactively. And that's fancy words, but how do you do that in real life? Well, they have, they then try to narrow it down into five different categories thing. They say we have to think fast, think ahead. Act now. That's one thing. You always be prepared to to think. What's be prepared to react. You have to cooperate to survive and to thrive. So you have to cooperate with others. You can't do this alone. You have to try to expect the unexpected and be prepared to adapt. And then, very importantly, they say only just and peaceful transition will succeed. You cannot do this with military means or any violent means you have to you have to do this peacefully and in collaboration with others and you have to do it the fifth one is you have to do it by everyone for everyone this is a joint mission everybody needs to help so again fancy words so we're really doomed because yeah, because all of this is very hard to achieve in real life <laughs> But what was really an eye-opener for me when I read this report was the clear connection between climate change and conflicts. It's not strange. It's not something you couldn't imagine. But here they have very clear examples of how it works and how they feed each other these two bad things. And uh, they're, they're going through examples from Africa, from Middle East, from Central America. And it, it's pretty eye-opening. It's depressing, So don't read it if you're already depressed. (laughs) I don't want to feed the doomers and gloomers here, but it is important, no matter how bad things are, it is important to look into them and define them and categorize them so that at least you know what the problem is. Yeah, but we also have to give humankind more credit, not to be like a reverse party pooper (laughs) of being a bit optimistic. There is solidarity and there is amazing hope and love between humans to be found in dire situations. So if you ever, um, we had a flood in 2001 or 2003 or whatever, I was a kid. And all of a sudden, this village came together and we all supported each other. Yeah. Um, and yeah. like, that's why I say like, it, there is hope, but we probably have to go to, through some bad shit first. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, this, this is this is one of the things about the the war as well in Ukraine. Oh. It united. Well, I'm not saying the whole world, but a lot of different nations who have had arguments over minuscule things even even now they unite over their desire to stop this and, yes. and put an end to this yeah so it's not all doom and gloom but some no. of it is okay let's work for it work towards that goal yes <laughs> There's a goal I have, and that is that I never want to be in prison. <laughs> okay, we'll try to help you with that, if <laughs> Thank we you. can. Yes. <laughs> and people who will be like, wow, that's a very weird non-secular. Yes, uh, but I am talking about a fake doctor now who was sentenced uh, for life in prison. Wow. Yeah, yeah, probably another thing that you don't want to do is uh, scamming people, right? Yes, or being a fake doctor, yeah, for like for two reasons. A, because it's a scam, and B, it's also very, very dangerous for the people you're treating if you're a fake doctor. That's right. And this German court sentenced a fake doctor for causing the deaths of several people. The judges in Kassel decided that the 51-year-old forged a license to obtain employment as an anesthesiologist. Three patients died in her care because of uh, treatment errors. Others suffered serious damage. So they say she's in front of the court for three counts of murder and ten counts of attempted murder. And there's a special gravity in her case, and that means she can't get out after 15 years. Like, life in prison is usually... In Germany is 15 years, but mm. because her crime is so grave, she will stay longer. Mm -hmm. Hang on. How does this work? I mean, murder, I thought murder needed to be intentional. You have to try to kill somebody to be convicted by of murder. Yeah, in German law, um, there are several, like, in German it's called Mordmerkmale. A now it's clear. Man <laughs> manslaughter? No, no, no. It's like manslaughter is a step below, but um, you have to have like the intent of murder or you have to be like super negligent. And uh -huh. if, if, if so it's so negligent that you you knew what you were doing and you just neglect to do it, then it's also murder. You should have known. You should have known. And she should have known. And that's why I, okay. I guess, <laughs> like I'm not the <laughs> judge or anything, but I didn't read the papers. <laughs> no, because but, I assume she wasn't out to kill these people specifically. No, nah, but it was, was just, it was so okay. obvious that they would die if, if for even like a person who didn't study medicine, which she, I think, didn't. Like, it was so neglectful, if I'm right. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't read the court papers, <laughs> no. but I guess that's probably where they come from. Mm -hmm. She wrongly dosed the anesthetics, and she also failed to treat um, blood poisoning, for example. She deprived patients of oxygen. She damaged cardiovascular wow. systems. She caused organ failures and so on. So, like, she wasn't a nice person. Like, she, she not only scammed, but she was also, like, as I said, super negligent. They think she did that out of an excessive need for recognition. And interestingly, she worked She's in a hospital. Got it now. Yeah, yeah, she got it like worldwide. She worked in a hospital from 2015 to 2018, so three years. That's very impressive, I think. Negatively impressive. Hmm. You mean that no one spotted that yes, there's a problem yes, with her? Yes. Yeah. And she then moved, and there a medical association flagged discrepancies in her papers. And only then she actually submitted herself for um, fraudulent papers. And that's how everything, like, they investigated then, and then the rest is history, basically. Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that just makes me so angry because it's not only scamming and, like, morally bad because you forged papers... But it's also, because you are in medicine, it's also mm. so dangerous for your patients. Yeah. Yeah. So how yeah. does this affect your belief in humanity? Hmm. 
Mm, well, still, still there because there are people that are um, that have certain conditions, like mm-hmm. narcissism yeah, yeah. or psychopaths. Or I'm really not not a psychiatrist yeah. or a psychologist, but yeah. there are good and bad people. But most people are pretty good. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Hashtag not all people. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I do believe that it, it's a very clear example of how scientifically trained people can be scammed as well. Yes. Just like James Rendy has has pointed it out on several occasions. Also, we occasionally talk here about problems with publishing scientific papers. And there could be lots of issues around it, ranging from uh, poor or, well, virtually non-existent peer review to even fraudulent practices like fabricating data, as one of our favorites, Andrew Wakefield, (laughs) demonstrated in The Lancet. But have you heard of hijacked journals? No. <laughs> I have, actually. Because yeah. I think I have, may have read the same article as you. <laughs> Probably. go ahead. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. So the practice started back around 2010 with some hackers finding a couple of print-only scientific journals and launching websites under the same name to give the impression that the visitors are on the websites of the proper journals. Except... That wasn't the case. This way, they could easily collect login data and even money from contributors and potential readers. Since then, hackers have been upping their game as well. They have been using domain names very close to those of the journal, the original journals, using the same logos and web designs and all that. Even the ISSN numbers, they don't shy away from copying. If you don't know what it is, those are the the internationally recognized serial numbers of periodicals like magazines and other serial publications. So you have to be very alert to spot that it's not the real thing. And there are instances known when even the original domain could be acquired by someone other than the journal it's supposed to belong to. Hmm. When, let's say, the managers of the website forgot to renew their hosting services. So other people could acquire it and use it as the original. So things like that have been happening for a long, long time. But the problem is with this is that is nothing else but a money-grabbing scheme. Scholars are hard-pressed to publish their work as soon as possible, and they are the most important targets of these scams. This is yet another example of the flip side of the publish or perish principle that we have mentioned as well on several occasions. So if if you don't publish, you're not you're nobody. You're not recognized in the field of science. So authors are willing to pay the so-called editors, but there's no real peer review process. All they offer is a quick publication of the paper. And sometimes when the scheme is especially successful, libraries and universities can be scammed as well and actually subscribe to these hijacked or cloned journals. Unfortunately, even the WHO could be fooled to include hundreds of papers from hijacked journals in their COVID-19 library. Mind-blowing. So this issue is absolutely massive. It's yet another thing that undermines the reliability of the scientific publishing process. And we need to be aware of this, as well as help stakeholders like authors, publishers, readers alike, to see clearly about which journals or imitations of journals they should be careful with. And there are a couple of useful lists where you can find collections of previously identified hijacked journals. But here's the most recent and most comprehensive dynamic resource you'll find to tackle the issue. The Retraction Watch Hijacked Journal Checker. <laughs> what a name. And it was, 
Well, we all know and love and admire Retraction Watch for yes. what they do. And uh, one of their contributors, Abalkina, created this hijack journal checker. It's basically a frequently updated read-only Google document that names the hijacked and the original versions of the journals affected with the links to their websites so that you can go and check out if your paper of the papers that you try to read are published in a legitimate journal of actual quality or you might have been duped. So I find this a very important tool. And I have to be honest, even though I have heard of this before, up until now, I haven't been actively checking the journals I read papers from for this particular thing. So I don't know if you have, but (laughs) I never have, even though I've heard of this before. So we need to be more actively looking out for this kind of scam because that definitely doesn't bring in the quality of science that we are after and that we want to see. Mm-hmm. Oh, and obviously, if you spot something, if you see something suspicious going on about any of the journals that you read, don't hesitate to report that, that pseudo journal because they are open for new suggestions and new things to check out. Yeah. So on the show notes, our listeners will find a link to the article explaining this in, de- in a bit more detail. And of course, the form that you can use to report suspicious journals do check awesome. it out. Yeah, that's such important work. Yeah, great. Mm-hmm. Someone who's also doing important work is Edzard Ernst. <laughs> yes, yes. I think that's a statement that I don't have to, really have to give more detail to, but I want to. <laughs> <laughs> I want um, you to do it as well. Yes, Edzard Ernst is an alternative medicine expert and won the Maddox Prize in 2015. And he's also known um, in Germany as a member of Informationszentrale Homeopathie. He mm-hmm. has a very um, prolific blog, um, edzardernst.com. And I think he's also pretty famous for writing several books and being a bit of a fighter against Prince Charles. <laughs> <laughs> um, and now he got appointed to become a member of the Academy of Europe, the Academia Europea. And this mm-hmm. is a European Academy of Humanities, Letters and Sciences. And you can only uh, become a member by invitation. The Academy got established in 1988 and it's a non-governmental association to promote learning, education and research. So, Edzard Ernst, congratulations. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes, that's Very right. well deserved. Awesome. Short and sweet good news at the end of our news section, right? Oh, good, good, good. <laughs> Yeah, but that means that we are moving on to finding out who's been really wrong lately. Or perhaps really right. Yeah. You never know okay. with this segment. Yes. <laughs> no, I thought it was uh, time. I, I didn't want any more doom and gloom. We, we need something positive here. Good. I also wanted to talk about something that we almost never mention, strangely enough. When it comes to CO2 emissions, there's one sector that is especially bad, and that is concrete production. Mm-hmm. So uh, the news this week is about a concrete factory on the Swedish island of Gotland in the Baltic Sea. It produces most of all concrete in Sweden, which in itself is amazing because concrete is used for everything. You can't build anything today without concrete being the basis for your construction. But the problem, as I said, is CO2 emissions. Believe it or not, this concrete factory on Gotland represents 3% 
of all CO2 emissions in Sweden every year. So it's so bad that the permit to continue the operations was about to be withdrawn and the, the whole thing was forced to cease or was about to be forced to cease. Not just because the CO2 actually, but also other environmental considerations. But what can you do? We need concrete. You can't just stop building things. But the good news now is that the manufacturers have decided to invest 1 billion euro to make the factory carbon neutral by 2030. This will be done by a carbon capture and storage facility, a CCS, as they say in the business, uh, which will, of course, as the name says, capture CO2 from the atmosphere and store it in the ground. The technology is there, it exists. The problem, though, is that electricity usage will be five times what they are now consuming today. And you may ask, uh, how can it be carbon neutral with so much power consumption? Well, it's because this is Sweden and virtually all electricity uh, production is CO2 free. We have uh, in Sweden, this 43% is hydroelectric, 31% is nuclear, 17% is wind and the rest is also, well, it's solar and other, other stuff. But it's very, there's no uh, coal plants, no oil-based things, no fossil fuel used to create uh, electricity. I do, of course, realize that the company is doing so because they're forced to do so. They're forced to come up with some sort of solution just to survive. And I also realized that 2030 is a long time away and, you know, and it also may fail. The whole thing may fail even if it works on paper. But why I wanted to bring it up is because it highlights that there are things that you can do to mitigate the climate crisis. There are ways and you have to put pressure on big carbon villains and bad guys like this company. And if you do enough, they may come up with solutions. And 1 billion euro, it's a lot of money, of course, but in some ways it's not that much. It, it is doable. It is absolutely achievable. So uh, I think this is a good thing that we need to highlight. Yes. Mm -hmm. So because of all that, this initiative to, with one stroke, lower Sweden's total CO2 emissions by 3% gets today's prize for being really right. We need more initiatives like yes, this. Yes, we do. We do. See, mm -hmm. I, I was right to be optimistic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's hope after all. <laughs> mm, yeah. All right. Thank you very much, Pontus. And that brings us to the end of this episode. But of course, we cannot leave without a quote. So, Annika, have you got one for us? Yes. And I got a quote by German author Michael Ende, who, among other things, wrote The Never-Ending Story. He lived from 1929 to 1995. And the quote is, When it comes to controlling human beings, there is no better instrument than lies. Because, you see, humans live by beliefs, and beliefs can be manipulated. The power to manipulate beliefs is the only thing that counts. Ooh. So, a bit dark. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's not an endorsement. Don't no, do this, people. No, it's not. It's not. It's more a cautionary tale, in a way. Yeah, absolutely. It is, but it tells you how important it is and how cynicism about this can lead to bad things. Yeah, exactly. Mm. I was very fascinated by this story when I was small, young. I loved yeah, it. Me yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Me <laughs> too. 
<laughs> well, I think it was for me, it was the first book that actually uh, opened like the door to the outside world in a way. I don't want to spoil the story for people who don't know. But there's a certain like opening the fourth wall, so to say. So <laughs> it is really, yeah. It's a fascinating story so, in that way. It's awesome. You, well, to just spoil it a little bit, they open a book, or the the main per character opens a book, and he becomes part of the book. That's very very powerful. And if you're like as old as the main character when you're reading it, and you're yeah. like, <gasps> maybe I can be part of the book too. <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah, yeah it was awesome. <laughs> it's still awesome. Actually, for me, it was not a childhood experience. It was, I think I was in my around 16 or 17 when I read it. Mm -hmm. for, for some reason I heard of it but I never knew what it was yeah. same with The Little Prince actually <laughs> that was quite, a, quite a late I was quite late to the party but yeah I, I was young enough that my mother hello mom who is listening <laughs> to the show she read it to me and uh, it was a great experience yeah oh wow Oh, now we all bond okay. over this author <laughs> that's cute yeah <laughs> I think you would have liked that <laughs> but now I think we need to close the show. Yes. So this concludes episode 328. <laughs> Thank you very much, Annika and Pontus, for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Many thanks to our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Tschüss. Hello. Bis lat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Hang on, what's going on here? I have a skeptic cat, hang on. A yeah, they were mid- Not a chance, is that an actual yeah. skeptic cat? Skeptic cat, hello! Speaking, speaking of which, come back, Pont. I just, while, while we, were, we were trying to do a recording, you're just running a light like a No, but I had, to, like I, had to let, I had to let the cat out. He was trapped Ooh, inside let here. Who the cat out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> meow, meow. Okay. Schrodinger. Okay. <laughs> Schrodinger let the cat out. He didn't, though, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Are you recording, Boss Chipmunk? Who's the Boss Chipmunk? Well, you are because you didn't record yet. <laughs> I am recording now. Okay, boss monk. Boss. <laughs> <laughs> That's the sound of a boss monk. <laughs> I don't know what a boss monk is. <laughs> but I know what they sound like.
Oh, oh, by the way, nice singing last time. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I got the lyrics wrong though, because I improvised, but never mind. It's Don't not it's not we love to monkey around, it people say we monkey around, but yeah, yeah. who cares? Nobody noticed. <laughs> Swedish and German are so close. I should really start learning Swedish. <laughs> well, unless you just regard Swedish as very poor German. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. It's just like part of the like I would say it's cousins, like cousin languages. But sorry for derailing Trish here. In this yeah, what about Kungliya Vetenskops Academy? All right, so, so what happened? What happened? So in yeah. 1739... Speaking about vaccinations uh, against the vaccine... Sorry. Speaking about against blah, vaccine, blah, blah. Vaccination against vaccines. That's good. That's something we could sell, I think, this time. <laughs> I'll cut that in wherever it suits. Anyway, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Recommend ways to mitigost... Uh, mitigost? <laughs> You're coming up with pretty good words today. Yeah. <laughs> Employment as an anesthesiologist... And... Oh, God. It's <laughs> 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 the worst word ever. So even, it's even harder to pronounce if you've had some. Yeah. Anesthesiologist. <laughs> You're under there you some. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Third try, try lucky? Okay. Yeah. Um, she forged a license to obtain employment as an anesthesiologist. God. <laughs> license as a god. That, that is. License that is as a license. god. Definitely also fake. Called Definitely priest. Fake. No. <laughs> anesthesiologist. <laughs> and, um, sorry, you have to. We'll have to cut that laugh out. I'm sorry. 